Starting your own private medical practice can be the most exciting and rewarding thing you'll ever do in your career, but at the same time, it can be so daunting. Where do you start and how? That's why Gentem Health put together the podcast series, Journey to Private Practice, where we document and interview entrepreneurs, clinicians, investors, and the best in the industry to bring you actionable insights as how to start, grow, and scale your private practice. With insights tailored just for you and actionable links in the notes, this is the journey to private practice. <laughs> All right, and we're live. Hey everyone, this is Omar M. Khatib, your host with Journey to Private Practice. I'm joined by a good friend, somebody that I've been connected with on LinkedIn for a while. He took a hiatus, he made everybody miss him, but then came right back, so we're happy to have him back. But it's great to finally meet Dr. Corey Kaldai. Dr. Kaldai, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Man, everything's great. little rainy here in Tennessee, but uh, can always... Uh can always find some good things to talk about. Thanks for having me on, Omar. Appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And just for myself and the listeners, is it Calendine or Calendine? Calendine. I mean, that's how I say it. You know, I've never really searched out my roots. You and I, before we came on, were talking about your rich heritage and 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 your wife being from Turkey. Yeah, you've you've got the story we want to hear. But uh, Calendine, I've never really investigated. But that's how I say it. Well, that's, yeah, that's perfect. Mind. Look, from, from my last name, it's Khatib. You know, I've been told it's pronounced Khatib, but, um, but I'm like, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a boy from the south of Texas. It's, it's Khatib. <laughs> so, yeah. so, Dr. Calvin, there's so many things I want to ask you, but I think the first thing that I, a lot of our listeners are going to want to know about is, you know, they see you on LinkedIn. I know you have an Instagram handle. We're going to leave the handles for, for you, uh, for everyone in, in the show notes. But what's your origin story? Like, who's Corey Calendai? You know, where you, where'd you, where'd you come from? Where'd you, how did you get into medicine? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to be direct with it. You know, um, the, the reality is, I have two older brothers, and they chose medicine. And in a very real way, I followed my two older brothers into medicine, no question. You know, Interestingly, the, the three boys are all totally different. The oldest one trained as a pediatrician and the middle brother, a radiologist, who, you know, doesn't really help people is what I always like to say. But uh, <laughs> they just like to hang out in a dark room and look at pictures. It's fine. Yeah, they, they're, worried about the, they're worried about the patient interaction. But, uh, but, but for me, that was key for me. So, so medicine, I had massive influences at a very young age. In, in truthfulness, I wanted to be Stanley Steamer, the carpet cleaner. Uh, it didn't work out. Uh, there was a brief time in my very young childhood that I wanted to be Wonder Woman. Uh, I'm still confused by that, but I just have to own that as part of my origin. But, but medicine for me very early uh, was a focus. My dad was a preacher. And so, you know, I, I knew I wanted to do something to, to, to help. I wanted to be in a help or a service type of field. And there's a ton of amazing fields. But with my brothers going into medicine, that was a natural draw. And then early in med school, I don't, I don't know how common knowledge this is, but early in med school, you figure out if you're a cutter or not a cutter. So if you're a surgeon or not a surgeon, um, and, and, and I think it, it largely has to do with attention span. You know, I, I wanted to be able to affect change and, and really see people's life in a very, a very uh, sudden uh, way. I, I was so influenced in college uh, by one of my good buddies who played college baseball for a while. 
And he would always tell this story about one of his coaches. He was pitching, and, and the, the game was not going well. He was doing horrible. And the coach came out there and just wore him out, man, just wore him out. And it just devastated him. And obviously, he got pulled from the game. But you know what stuck with me was if you want to make an impact in people's lives, you need to touch them in their time of need right? You need to touch them when they're hurting, right? Physical pain is what I deal with, but you want to touch them in their time of need. And so, man, to call that a job, Omar, I mean, it, it, it's incredible. So orthopedics is for me, obviously I do a lot of hip and knee replacement. You see people go from a wheelchair to walking. It's, it's incredible. And I'm so thankful to, uh, to, 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 to be able to do that every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, you know, I know that there's a lot of medical students who listen to this. So funny enough, in a former life, I, I was in medical school in Texas. Uh, and very much like you, I decided, you know, I wanted to go into medicine to, you know, to heal people, to, to you know, to affect change everything. Father was a surgeon. You know, but about halfway through, though, you know, I just saw more passions of mine in technology. And so I went into medical technology. But you're so right. What's funny is that you go into med school thinking about, well, I'm going to look at each specialty based on I don't know, my research interests or whatever, but you know what ends up happening? Everybody goes into the thing that their personality fits in. And that, that was the craziest thing. Every guy that, uh, that we started out in medical school with, you know, most of the guys, they wanted to be surgeons, right? But like halfway in, I think only one of the people, one of the guys, because it was a small class, we were, we were at Texas Tech, the, the, the new school. I think only one or two of the guys actually went into surgery. And when I look back, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Like this person went into psychiatry, like they're a psychiatrist. The other person went to radiology. It makes complete sense. Yeah, but it's so funny that you go where your personality and mindset fits. Yeah, it, it's a good point. I, I actually entered med school thinking I'd do cardiology. I had a mentor. This is incredible. I had a mentor um, who uh, gave all the – he picked one high school student a year uh, in Knoxville. That's where I grew up. Uh, and he gave the, gave out this Martin Luther King Jr. Community of Man and God scholarship. So it was a needs-based scholarship. Uh, dude, my, my dad was a preacher. We didn't have any money. My mom worked at Winn-Dixie. Um, you know, uh, look, I had everything I needed. I'm not complaining, but we didn't have money. When I, when I graduated yeah. high school, my parents were like, hey, man, good luck out there. Uh, and that was it. Um, that was it. There wasn't like sign for my student loan. Um, it was, that wasn't going to happen. So I had a mentor that gave me a scholarship that paid for, um, undergrad and medical school, which is like bizarre, right? I mean, that's, that's amazing. It's that unheard literally unheard of. Yeah. And he, he was a cardiologist. And so I thought, well, my goodness, obviously I'm going to do cardiology, but again, cutter, not cutter. Right. And so yeah. cardiologists are proceduralists, but man, I needed to be a cutter. The, the reality is when I picked orthopedics, I had done one week. Your medical student listeners will know this. I had done one week of ortho, one week. And I decided wow. that I'm going to do orthopedics for the rest of my life. I didn't have any clue what I was getting into, um, but it was a personality fit, man. There's saws and hammers, and I could talk to these guys, and and they were uh, they, they 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 seem to know what they're doing. They're reasonably smart, um, but they were also very approachable, and man, that connected with me. I think it's a great point. Personality fits. Absolutely. Well, you know, talk speaking about personality, so. One thing that's interesting to me in the culture of medicine, culture of medicine is pretty, pretty pragmatic about things and, and definitely can be dogmatic. And in this new age, right, um, you know, for one, whether you're private practice or in an academic or hospital setting, you know, there is an importance around developing brand, 
right? Because you know whether whether you like it or not, that's how patients uh, find out about you. That's actually how you put yourself in a better position to, you know, move up in the in the in the medical world, whether it's at conferences or anything else. And so this is a very new mindset for physicians, you know, and especially I would say historically for surgeons. Because surgeons are very much from the from a historical standpoint about I need to protect and be very secretive of things. But you have a very sort of giving and growth oriented mindset. How did you first get on social media? Because being an orthopedic surgeon, you're extremely busy. So what was that moment that you said, you know what, I should really embrace this and start taking to the platform? Well, you're right. And and it wasn't intuitive to me. I mean, you know, I... I don't know how old you are, uh, Omar, probably far younger than I, but, uh, you know, I got my first email address in college and I had to go to the campus computer lab to log on. Like all, all the tech stuff is just in my lifetime has been just shot. And you're right. You're in residency and you're just trying to have time to eat. And then you're starting to practice yeah. and you, 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 you get so busy. <clears throat> but really, after about 10 years in practice for me, we were with. Uh, I, I trained at Vanderbilt uh, for my residency, uh, did a fellowship, and they, but came back to the greater area. I joined a private practice, but we were acquired by Vanderbilt. So we were Vanderbilt Bone and Joint for 10 years. And uh, that, that was a great partnership for a lot of reasons. But because we were operating as a separate cost center, we ultimately decided to partner with our local hospital. So, so that's the model that I'm under now. So we, we left Vanderbilt Bone and Joint and created this Bone and Joint Institute of Tennessee. Well, that was a new, uh, that would have been uh, two and a half, three years ago. So, so that was a new venture. And I said, wow, you know, I've kind of been hiding beneath the Vanderbilt umbrella, you know, Vanderbilt trained and obviously Vanderbilt kind of led the marketing thing, but boy, now we're building something special, something different. And so we, really when we started the Bone and Joint Institute of Tennessee, I started to get interested in, you know, how can how can I connect to people? You know, the reality is, is Omar, we're all busy, right? No, nobody has time to do a whole bunch of extra stuff, but but I'm just driven by uh, th this desire to, to, to make an impact, to help somebody, um, largely because so many have helped me. Like, it, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing to be a part of. And, and so, yeah, so I started uh, kind of getting into LinkedIn a little bit. I've, I've been there a little bit longer. I think I did start that when I was at Vanderbilt. But then I branched out into Instagram and, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter. I, I try to do a little bit of all of it um, and, and have a little bit different voice based on the needs of the platform. But what mm -hmm. I think is so important is being authentic. Right. You and I were talking before we came on. I, I took a little LinkedIn hiatus. Um, I, I'm I'm I don't know that anybody noticed, but I put a post up that said I'm back. And so then they were like, oh, yeah, maybe he's gone. But uh, but but uh, the reason why is because I was trying to build out some Instagram stuff. I really wanted to lean into it. So so for all those guys out there thinking about social media, look, there are all kinds of guys that can help you with it. And it's great. And I got a guy that kind of puts some filters on my video, makes them look cool. But but for me, it was about how can I authentically reach out and touch more people? And it's been great. I mean, it's it, it's it's how I've connected to you and 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 so many others. Uh, it's been it's been incredibly rewarding. And and I don't know how to monetize it, Omar. That's the other thing. Yeah, surgeons are busy, and they're like, ah, oh, if I'm going to put all this effort into patient education online and give it away for free, you know, how am I going to justify that time? I don't know a way to monetize it. 
nor did I get into it to monetize, right? I got into it to add to the fullness of life, right? That, that, that thing that, uh, that, that thing that I always say, you know, savoring life to the bone, like, dude, I didn't have any help with a marketing guy on that. Like I, that, that's really my approach. And hopefully that comes across. No, it absolutely does. And I think that's, that's the thing is that, you know, forget, you know, even within medicine, even within the technology world, there's a lot of these platforms where companies, you know, the easy thing is like, well, what's the ROI of this activity, yeah. right? And I think, you know, when you think of it like that, there, you, you leave a lot of, you know, you can get called quote unquote money on the table because for one, if it is very easy and transactional and you can map it directly to something that's, that's monetized, then there's really nothing valuable about it, believe it or not. This is something that can be replicated. Everybody can do. Yeah. But you know, when you put, when you put this kind of content out there, right, you don't know how it travels. Right. You don't know how it's going to be used and you don't know the kind of impact it'll have, you know. So, for example, these days and, you know, for, you know, for physicians, they have to keep in mind. I mean, my father is a 75 year old surgeon. He uses Facebook more than I do. And anytime he has to meet with somebody. Right. Or I have to meet with somebody. You know, we check. We Google and see like, oh, do they have a Facebook page. Do they have an Instagram? Do they have LinkedIn or something. If they don't have any of those things. It's really sketchy. Very sketchy. It's like, I don't know. I don't know who this person is, yeah. you know. And so I think, you know, just taking these platforms and, and saying, hey, you know, I'm not nobody's great at it. It's not intuitive for everybody, but just saying I'm going to just make the attempt to at least, you know, engage and communicate through it. And it doesn't have to be like amazing videos at the beginning. It can be very simple. My, you know, I've been doing a book review show on LinkedIn for almost three years now. Every week, first year and a half of that was like iPhone video, unedited, you know, and none of these things have monetized. However, changed my life, brought, got me into my career uh, out in Silicon Valley, right? Got me connected to great, you know, uh, uh, people like you. So you never know the impact of these things until you start getting them. Well, that, that's exactly right. You, 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 you just don't know. But, but I think you're right. I think people are, people are looking at, you know, the brand word is very uncomfortable for surgeons. Uh, you know, like, what's your Why brand? Is that? Right. Why do you think that is? I, I think I think because we think it means fabricated, right? Like we think it means what is your master plan to deliver a certain picture to your audience? Um, and I think for some people, maybe it does mean that. Um, but, uh, but, but I think if you lead with authenticity, all that falls out, you know, there's, there's, I don't know where you're going to put this Omar, but you, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a call from my brand person. Cause I work with somebody that kind of helps me think through how I appear to others, uh, or, or we're going to get a call from, uh, you know, Matthew Ray Scott, you know, he, he talks about brand. He actually, He's great. Listen, Matthew, Matthew Ray's an awesome guy. He simplifies it a little bit and, and it kind of speaks to me because dude, I'm not very smart, man. I'm a man of a narrow skill set. You know, <laughs> your, your, your brand is like what, what people say about you, what Google says about you, you know, however he breaks it down. I wish I could quote him better, but, but, but that makes sense, right? I mean, what do people see? And, and we all need to be cognizant of that. And I, I try to use that information as feedback, right? So somebody trolls me on LinkedIn. I say, oh, you know, was I coming across a little harsh or, you know, you know, I, I use it. I, I think it's good. So, so bring on the good stuff and bring on the criticism because I want to use that as, as value. So. Absolutely. And, you know, 
that's the one thing I think a lot of people get worried about. Even companies, big companies I know when I speak to their marketing teams are like, oh, we're posting on LinkedIn, but we've disabled comments. And, my, and I ask them, like, why did you disable comments? They're like, well, we're worried if a competitor or someone says something negative. I'm like, well, I, that's nice that you think someone cares enough to make that big of a you know public post. But if they do, that's even better. It's engagement. But, you know, the, the bad is going to be there, right? It's like if you look at some of the, uh, like, there's a, a saying with, with uh, like, uh, uh, um, very uh, highly published authors who are best bestsellers. They, they say, like, you don't have a best-selling book until you have, like, some one-star Amazon reviews. If no one cared enough to leave a bad review on your book, you didn't really write anything good. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I mean, you, you, you know, I, I guess there's some guys that try to be divisive, right? And try to get those negative reviews by saying inflammatory stuff. That's obviously just to be clear. It's not what we're talking about. Of course. Yeah, but, exactly. uh, but, but it's absolutely true. You know, I, obviously I do a lot of stuff in the robotic space um, for robotic joint replacement. It's about precision and all these kind of things. And there's one guy in particular, and I won't name him, uh, oh, but you can... <laughs> You can look him up. You can look him up on LinkedIn. This guy like hammers everything that is ever said about robotics. And inevitably, this guy will potentially say, don't say his name, Omar. Don't say, his name. say this, this, this guy, this guy will say something negative or inflammatory on a post of mine or somebody else's. I love the guy. Like what people don't realize is he and I message privately all the time. I've talked to him on the phone. Like, like I love it because it generates an important conversation. And now we can do this. Exactly. 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 I don't know who it is, but I'm not going to go look at your posts. I I got my career started in robotics. I'm very pro robotics. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to check it out. Well, let me ask you this. So for, you know, so a lot of my friends uh, who are, I was either in medical school with, or we were in college, we went to another med school. Some of them did actually go into uh, either, or, you know, just straight orthopedics where they ended up doing ortho spine. They're listening to this. What's your, like, sort of, like, you know, short advice for how they should think about each platform? Let's just start with the basics of LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Facebook's it's kind of like his own thing. But yeah. LinkedIn, Twitter, and, and Instagram, what's your take on it? Where should they start, and how should they think about each one? Yeah, I, it's a good question. I mean, I th- I think the key, it sounds so cliche to say, but I think the key is just to start, like, just start. Like, I, 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 I would not wait on some formulated master plan. I, I would just, just start. Um, and so if you have a thought, then you should just share it. And if it comes with a pretty picture, fine. And if it doesn't, that's okay. Um, so, so, so the first thing I would tell you is just start sharing. Um, and and the second thing I would say is, you know, start absorbing, right? Just look at what's on there, right? You, if they're surgeons, we're talking to the guys that you're, you know, that, that, that are buddies with you that are surgeons, they have an opinion, dude. I I know them. Okay. I know them already. And you can hear them down the hall. Yeah. And so, so, so yeah, so, so just start sharing and just start contributing. Right. I mean, you, you don't have to have some masterful post to start. You can, you can say, Oh man, I, I really thought that post was good. And you can comment or you can say, boy, I, I've never thought about it like that. What do you think about this? So the engagement is really important. So just start both posting and interacting. Uh, but the platforms are different. And I kind of mentioned that a little bit. So, so for me, LinkedIn is more professional connection. Uh, for me, it's about, uh, uh, business motivation because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, 
you know, that's how I get my energy. Honestly, I, I don't want to pump anybody up and rah, rah, rah. Uh, but for me, it's fuel, right? The, the interaction is fuel. And so believing in something bigger than yourself in a professional business way, that's LinkedIn for me. For Instagram, uh, it's, it's, it's for me, it's really more pretty. And so surgical videos are awesome and filters are cool. And like, it's, it's much more casual. You know, I do joint replacement, but there are all these, uh, uh, people that follow me there that are, uh, well, their parents need joint replacement, you know, so, so they'll send me their parents. Um, so it's a different, it's a different age group. It's a different focus, uh, for sure. Twitter for me, uh, I've, I probably put less effort into Twitter. Twitter is, kind of trolled more. Uh, there's this thing called ortho Twitter. So hashtag ortho Twitter. And so it's a bunch of ortho guys. Sometimes there's some sharing cases. Sometimes it's very pithy and kind of clever and like, that's not really my game. Like, um, but there's some great guys on there putting out great content. And so it, it can be right for some people. So mainly that's a professional link for me. And then you mentioned Facebook. Facebook for me has largely been patient facing. And so that that's where I park a lot of just the the patient education stuff. And obviously there's some exchange right between those, you know, there are some patients that you'll find on LinkedIn and, and there are some uh, business connections that you make, may, may make on Facebook. But for me, that's kind of how, I, how, how I break it down. Hey podcast listeners. I want to share a story with you now, believe it or not, my father was a private practice owner, just like you. He had his own general surgery practice for 35 years and spent the last 10 doing varicose veins and other vascular procedures in his office. He loved private practice because he was in control of how he practiced medicine. But even back then, billing was an issue. Now, despite that, my father was lucky to choose when he wanted to retire and he did so with his independence as a clinician and a practice owner. But not everyone is lucky that like that these days. That's because getting reimbursed is even more complicated than ever. Practicing medicine today comes with more headaches and more responsibilities. So along with the complexities and demand of caring for your patients, your mind is also occupied with all these headaches that come with running a private practice, like submitting claims and managing your accounts receivables, dealing with insurance companies and denials, all of that just to get reimbursed in time and in full. And more often than not, that doesn't happen that way. And this can be such a tough task and extremely frustrating, but it does not have to be like that anymore. To adapt in a world with an ever-changing environment, especially in healthcare, means to seize opportunities when you see them. And that opportunity is to use data-driven technologies. That's why you need a trusted partner like Gentem. Gentem is a Silicon Valley-based company founded by a Stanford-educated physician and a former Facebook software engineer. And they found that uncovering hidden revenue in your claims is the key to increasing your cash flow and staying independent. It's only possible through what's called predictive reimbursement modeling. And that's on Gentem's platform. Why is that important? Because then you're using the power of data to see how well your practice is doing, how to maximize reimbursements, decrease the time it takes for you to get it reimbursed. And more importantly, as payers get more creative with denials, you're able to use the data to adapt and stay ahead. And not only that, but you also get the support of Gentem's remarkable team of medical practice experts with decades of experience in healthcare. They're an extension of your practice in that they work with all departments to achieve optimal revenue with dedicated resources, including certified billers, coders, and revenue cycle managers, all working and paying attention to the data specific to your region and your specialty. 
Gentum also develops products specifically made for private medical practices. So when your practice is ready to invest in hiring more staff, perhaps new technology, or even acquiring facility or building one out yourself, don't go and fill out a long, complicated application at the bank and get handcuffed to a high-interest bank loan. Gentem uses Gentem Advance to essentially advance payments to you based on your outstanding AR. You get the capital that you need today to grow, and then you pay it back based on your future claims. So head over to gentem.com forward slash podcast demo and get your free billing and reimbursement assessment along with a demo of our platform and service to see what's right for you. And now let's get back to the show. I think the key, though, is just to start. And, and how I started was, you know, LinkedIn. I just kind of started with that. And then I added. I, I think you can do too much at, at one time. H how did you do it? I mean, what, what, what are your keys to being the man you are? That's, oh, I appreciate That's a great question. Um, so believe it or not, I'm part of the, like, original generation of Facebook. So in 2004, when I was in college, I was part of the group that they rolled it out to. I was not, I was not at Harvard. I was at a state school. But I did adopt Facebook back then. You know, I added as I went. And I think right around, you know, I actually started different groups on Facebook. So I had some uh, knowledge of it. <clears throat> and with my, per so with my, like, professional, personal brand, a lot of people are surprised to hear this. But I didn't really start any of that until, I'd say, 2014, 2015. Wow. Right? And, and it started on LinkedIn. And the way it started was... I, my, I worked for Mizzou Robotics, the great, you know, first, first great robotics spine company we got acquired by Medtronic. And so, you know, there's some, you know, layoffs or yeah, layoffs, you know, job, job dissolved. And so I was trying to find a, a job and I was a young guy in Orlando, Florida. And I said, you know, I have this experience in robotics and this marketing, but nobody knows about me. And every interview I went to, or I applied to, they're like, oh, you don't have enough experience. I was like, yeah, but there's so much more behind just like what number of years you spend in a job. So I said, well, why am I waiting for people to discover me or why am I waiting to do all this interview? I'm just going to go and do this on LinkedIn and let people find it. So I would add, and this is what I recommend to people who are looking for a job, whether you're a physician or not, I would add, you know, a lot of people every day, just random people, marketing uh, people, salespeople. And every week I said, okay, aside from posting, what article can I write this week that would really be impactful. So I started writing articles on leadership and marketing psychology. And eventually there was a company, a robotic company I really wanted to work for. And they would not interview me. It was, it was, it was Verb Surgical at the time, who was a joint venture between Johnson Johnson and Google. And I said, you know what? I'm going to publish their marketing plan, what I think they should do strategically. Marketing. What are they going to do? Get mad at me? So I did that. The article went viral. And then, you know, Many articles later, I mean, I did. I never ended up working with them. I interviewed with them many times, but it just took too long to make a decision. Um, but those articles paid my way out to San Francisco and Silicon Valley, and you know, a few years later, and a couple, couple companies later, this is where I'm at. Isn't yeah? So, isn't that something, right? So you just did what you were passionate about. You did what you already were interested in, uh, but were willing to share it, right? I mean, because if you do all that and like hand it to the guy beside you, man, you don't have the reach. So exactly. I think that's and, pretty incredible. Yeah. And, and what I love, again, this is why I, I really resonate with how, you know, how you put, put your posts out there because I, I, I see myself in those posts and I appreciate the vulnerability, the brave, the bravery, because it does, it does take some vulnerability and you do have to be brave when you put these posts out there. But I think that's the way this all works, which is, 
nothing great ever came from something that was easy, right? There has to be this thing where when you're about to do these posts, and it still happens to be where you feel this like hesitancy. It's like, ah, you know, what's someone going to think about this? Like, is someone going to make fun of this? And you have to really just push through that because you never know how far these things travel. I have people who find my post today years later and, you know, it inspires them to change their job, you know, go into a certain career, you know, so you just, you never know, including this interview, how far this is going to travel and what kind of difference it's going to make in somebody's life. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. I, I, I'll tell you, you know, people mention that to me from time to time uh, about, you know, the vulnerability in my post. I, I just need to pause just for a second and clarify. I, I'm too dumb to realize <laughs> that I'm being vulnerable. Like, I, 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 I think the cure for that is just don't think about it, right? Um, put something out there that is authentic to you, and then you just don't, you just don't have to worry about it too bad. Not, not everybody's got to like you, but, but, but I wish I could tell, I wish people would say that to me, Omar, and be like, yeah, man, I'm not vulnerable. I'm tough. Um, I actually don't realize it. Um, I, and I don't mean it like that. I, 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 I don't think about it. And I think, I think people realize that I'm not trying to perfect or, you know, broadcast a certain brand. I think that's what they're talking about with vulnerability. I think they're saying, Corey, we, we, we see your imperfections and your honesty, um, well, yeah, because I'm not smart enough to put gloss over it, um, and and that's okay with me. So I, I back to what we were saying. I mean, just I just encourage people to just be authentic with it and get out there. I, I want to hear from them. Absolutely, and I think you know, you know, on one side, it's you know what I mentioned vulnerability. It's it's about you know if you're proud of something, right? It's kind of like you know we all have this this this. Uh, this voice of shame in our head. You know, when we were kids in high school, we put an outfit on, we're really excited to wear it. We're about to walk out the door and we're like, no, I, I don't want to, I don't want to wear this. Maybe, maybe my buddy's going to give me a hard time. That, that voice stays there. It gets worse when you're adults. And so what I tell people is like, look, if there's something that you have to say, just, just say it. Like, forget about the haters, forget about those who are going to, you know, be the critics. Like they're going to be there. But what about that one person that, you, that you're putting this out there for? So a lot of times when I make a video or a post, I usually just have one person in mind where I'm like, you know, what? I know that this person would really like it a lot. So when you put out your post, I'm sure you, you're thinking about somebody or some group of people. Who do you, who do you usually write for? Like what, what is your, your work on, on, on LinkedIn? Who's it usually for? Yeah, um, I, I don't know, Omar. I wish I had a better question. I, I wish I had a better answer to your question because I think it's a great question. Like, who, who, who is your, who's your target? But honestly, I feel, and the, the, the brand people aren't going to like this. I feel the absence of me knowing some specific target for all of my posts, um, is probably good, you know, um, because, because, not every post is going to hit every person. And I think this is what you're saying. You know, not, you know, it's not one person that I'm always talking to. Um, it's, it's, uh, with a specific foot post, uh, what is your target? Uh, you know, I, I, I put some out earlier that, that talk about, you know, telemedicine. Well, what is my point? Well, a lot of my posts 
in on LinkedIn anyway are focused around tech. I mean, I want to be Omar when I grow up. Like I, I, I want to <laughs> leverage into tech in a way. I mean, man, I'm a knuckle dragger. I use like saws and like mallets and, you know, but I see the power of technology. So a lot of my posts are around guys. Look, things are great the way they are, but what if, right? But, but, but what if we did it better? I was reading an article uh, out of Bloomberg. It had a lot of pictures, so uh, I enjoyed it. But uh, that was the most ortho comment I've ever heard. It's true. So, but but four out of five, four out of five. I told you it's a personality thing. No, you told me. Um, four to five are in the tech space, right? It's like Musk and uh, Elon Musk and Gates and uh, Zuckerberg and uh, uh, Be- Bezos, and and then and then and then there's the CEO guy from Louis Vuitton. Right, Hennessy, Louis Vuitton, and all that. Like he's kind he of passed Bezos for 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 net worth. I don't so, know how yeah, he did that. It, 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 it's incredible. So so the the point of the article was like uh, you know tech is where it's at unless you're in really nice handbags. Um. So so and maybe that's the brand piece, Omar. Maybe you've got it all figured out in tech and brand. Yeah, and I think you know I think the biggest thing that what I've noticed in Silicon Valley, if I can say this about them. Is Silicon Valley is great when it comes to building, you know, products. It's very product-led. The problem, though, is this concept around if you build it, they will come. It's a farce, right? It's just not the way it works. And for those people who are wondering, I think they, they quote Thoreau when they say that. That was actually a made, this is 100% made up by an advertising man back in the early 1900s just to sell products. That if, they, if you build it, they will come. So it's, it's a fake thing. And I think at the end of the day that no matter what, whether you're a physician or you're a tech or anything, we're all human beings, the best story wins, right? And so I think when, you know, like for me, I'm, I, I, I'm not too, I, I, brand is super, super important, but I put that aside and I think about it just like, what's the reputation, right? And I think that's a, what a lot of physicians have to think about when it comes to their patients, their peers, which is when someone sees my name, what are they going to think about, right? So for my father, you know, when he was in practice, um, you know, he he had a reputation of being just like a surgeon, surgeon, right? He wasn't, you know, the president of any big societies. He was he was chief of surgery for, for a while at his hospital, but he was just a surgeon, surgeon. He he really focused on that. And then a lot of patients in the community would always, I'd run into people and they're like, you know, your father saved my life. Your father saved, you know, so-and-so's life. And so when the digital age came out, I think back then, I mean, he just saw it as a way to extend that story about him. And so he made, made a few videos and everything. And so I think that's, I think that's the big thing, which is, you know, everyone is going to have some story or narrative in their mind and they need some kind of story to come to you for either surgery or help or whatever that might be. So how many different versions of that story can you put out there? And for it to enter somebody's mind and for it to make sense. I think that's what does what it's really all about. Because otherwise, if you don't put that narrative out there, somebody else will. You know? And it may not be the kind of narrative you want. Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely true. And and we all are storytellers. You know, there, there's no question about that. You know, some some of us have better stories. Some of us uh, can tell the story better. Um, you, you, you know, in fact, you said, if you build it, they will come legit, man. I thought that was from field of dreams. My boy, Kevin Costner, like, because I remember the story, 
right? I remember the story of uh, if you build it, it will come. That is the only connection uh, for me. Uh, again, you're in the 1900s, some marketing guy. It's awesome stuff, man, but it's the story I remember. And so you're right. If you don't fill in the blanks, somebody else will. Um, and sure, I, I guess for, for a surgeon, you know, you talk about Google Google reviews and all that kind of stuff, you know, like I, I, we, we always talk about it on our side is the bad people will find you, you know, the, the people that are angry with you uh, and you can't please everybody, they'll find you. But but what are you doing to tell the other side of the story? Happy patients don't always speak. And so I think you're right. I think it's about stories. Um, what stories do you have and and how do you tell it? Um, and can you be authentic about it? That's the key for me. Absolutely. And I think again for the for the physicians who are listening, I mean, when they think about marketing and storytelling, it's it's very overwhelming. Um, but you know, the one thing I do say, and I think LinkedIn's a really good place for that, which is it's a way. If anything, forget about marketing. It's just a way to keep keep yourself sharp because when you do write about these topics, whether it's technology or medicine, it's a way to keep yourself sharp because you know we don't get to go to conferences like five or six of them a year anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it's a great point. You know, I, I do some consulting work, you know, again, in the robotic space. And so the, the way that that company is set up is every surgeon has to be certified by a licensed trainer uh, before they can use it on a person. So it's a cadaver lab demonstration. So pre-pandemic, man, I would go all over the place and, you know, I mean, Omar, how many times can I give them the same spiel? Like, you know, I'm just teaching in the foundations of uh, the, this, uh, this particular robotic platform, how many times can I give the same dadgum spiel, right? T tell the same lecture every time, you know, make sure I'm hitting those critical points. But the reason why it was so stimulating is the interaction, just like what you're saying. It, it, it would keep me sharp. I would say, Hey, what about this? And they would say, well, have you ever thought about that? And I'd be like, Holy smokes, I've done hundreds of these and never crossed my mind. So the interaction is key. And it doesn't have to be in person anymore, which is really, really cool. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm working with, well, I, I don't professionally work with them, but kind of got it in more to uh, procedural telemedicine uh, with one of the companies. They found me through LinkedIn and uh, they were like, hey, man, would you would you want to do something with us? And it's been very stimulating. I've connected to all kinds of people. Um, you know, the the the, the fact that not only this conversation can be remote and virtual, right, and recorded and blown out, but now surgery can too. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. Absolutely. Well, and look, you know, I want to be, you know, mindful of our time. So this last sort of, you know, part of the of the podcast, I like to do something a little fun, a little different, and this okay. is rapid fire questions. So I'm going to ask okay. you some questions, and you can answer them as quickly as you want, or you can take as long as you want on them. But the sooner you answer them. Sooner I'll go to the next question. Okay, you ready? Uh, okay, you did not prepare me for this. Yes, I'm ready. Exactly. That was the whole point of this. Exactly. <laughs> so you got to go with what, whatever comes to mind. Okay, so great. For, first, first question is during COVID, what was the coolest thing that you bought for yourself? Uh, it's a good question. I'm, 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 I'm not a material guy, I don't think. Um, coolest thing I bought for myself. Um, you know, honestly, probably this microphone. Oh yeah, baby. The oh booyah. yeah, the you booyah. got the blue. Yeah. yeah, same here. Yeah, preach. Um, no, really, I, I bought like some AV.
equipment and because I was doing all these zooms and um, I, uh, I I looked crazy and so uh, sounded kind of weird and so yeah so I bought some uh, technical stuff as boring as that is nice nice okay so next question to you is that you know along the way in your in your surgical career no doubt in medicine there's mentorship's a big thing who was a big influence in your life as a surgeon from a mentorship standpoint yeah, I, I have a ton, but, but if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Charlie Ng. He was, uh, he was my senior mentor at my fellowship. So Ch Charlie Ng, you know, in the hip replacement world, you guys have probably heard the word, uh, John Charnley. He was this guy out of the UK and he was cementing, which is kind of like gluing the femoral prosthesis into the thigh bone. And, uh, Charlie Ng, again, my mentor in the space uh, years in the 80s said, you know, I don't think we should glue them in. I think we should put some rough and metal in there and then people's own body grows in to the prosthesis. And he did some work with dentists, you know, and oh, there's all this rivalry between our dentists, real, real doctors. You, you know, it was very controversial at the time that, uh, but the dentists were putting uh, uh, in-growth implants into the jaw for teeth reconstruction. So anyway, Charlie Ng was like, man, I think this makes sense. And he was honestly ridiculed broadly across uh, orthopedics for years. It turns out that now virtually every hip replacement done is cementless without cement. Um, and it turns out he made, I don't know, a gazillion dollars because he was the first guy in the space. Um, but, but he was such a... Uh, down-to-earth guy, right? So he was this bigger-than-life guy in space by the time I met him. You know, the, 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 really the, the father of cementless hip replacements in the U.S. He was this, he was the godfather, man. Uh, but to me, he was Charlie. And he'd tell me funny stories and tell me about getting ridiculed. And he was just a good person that had a good idea that he believed in and he stuck with it. And for him, it paid off financially, which was fine, but that's not really the story of Charlie. It's that he had an idea that went against the grain and he, he just kept talking about it because he believed in it. So whether he was right or wrong, the guy made a huge impact in my life. Turns out he was right. That's amazing. And it kind of goes back to the theme we we're talking about, which is this idea of shame, which is people are going to come out of ridicule. And, and if anything, Maybe it's this thing about the universe, which is if you're really, really onto something, there's going to be even more obstacles and pressure in front of you that you just have to push through. Right? Mm -hmm. I love that story. So that leads me to my next question, which is as a, as a person, whether it's from your surgical career or your personal life, what was the most memorable but painful thing that someone ever told you and how did it change your life? Um... Golly, that's a good question, man. Um, you know, honestly, the, the, the most, I think this is a little bit cheating because it, they weren't speaking of me, but, um, when, when, when my, when my wife, when my wife was 36, we had two kids at the time. So, uh, my son was two, my daughter was five. She was diagnosed with colon cancer. So, you know, I'm a surgeon, Omar. So I was in clinic, brah. And uh, she was going for a colonoscopy that we thought was routine. And uh, the surgeon called me and he said, uh, you know, you need, you need to get to the facility. Um, I think your wife has cancer. And, uh, dude, I know a ton about colon cancer. I 
took the test, I aced the test. These words meant something very different to me that day. Uh, but but uh, I realized that no matter what comes at me, it's kind of what I do with it, right? And so um, people have certainly been negative to me, uh, uh, you know, personally and attacked me. And obviously how you react to those negative attacks like we were talking about earlier are relevant. But, but I think it's how do you respond to the stresses in life? This is true when I have a, a wife with colon cancer, and this is true when I have a patient that hates me, and this is true when I have a surgical complication. I tell people all the time the biggest struggle for me as a surgeon is knowing that I'm not immortal and perfect. Um, the fact that I'm fallible is the biggest challenge with being a surgeon. So, you know, that's not going to make it on a t-shirt, Omar, but that's the truth. Um, this life is imperfect. We as individuals are imperfect, but it's what we do with it. So hardest thing, um, that any, anybody said to me was your wife has cancer and how did it change me? Uh, it changed everything. Um, with regard to my focus in life, she's 10 years out now. She spends, um, like crazy money on really expensive Louis Vuitton purses, which is why that one guy's doing so well. Um, and, and I, and I, I couldn't be happier about it. That's amazing. What a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was not expecting that. Wow. I, I gotta take a second for that one. Yeah. That, that's really amazing. Well, to kind of wrap things up. Um, I want you to imagine again, you know, a lot of physicians are listening to this med students, residents. So I want you to imagine that next year I come to you and say, Hey, we're going to take out a billboard across the entire country. This billboard is going to go in front of every major hospital, every major city, every small city, and every physician, every surgeon is going to walk by this billboard and see it every single day. What's the message you put on that billboard and why? Uh, for me, man, it's got to be savoring life to the bone. Um, that, that, that for me sums it, sums it all up. You know, savor is not really a common word, but you, you see it on LinkedIn probably. And, oh, it's some hashtag out there. I don't even know what a hashtag is still, but, um, but, but really for me, the ability to cherish what is in front of us is the key. Um, and, and honestly, like we were talking about earlier, you got to cherish the good stuff. You got to cherish the bad stuff because the reality is, is we're still here. And so if I had one message, uh, for everybody, that's what it would be, man. Savor life to the bone. Um, cause I'm an orthopedic. So I would get that reference in there and some brand awareness. Um, but really it would be about man, savor everything that's right in front of you. This conversation, Omar, has been so cool for me. Uh, I still don't know where Silicon Valley is, but I'm stupid impressed that you're there and successful. And my goodness, in preparation, I, I read through your bio, and it, it's incredible, man. It's incredible what you have created. Uh, it, it's clear you've 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 savored it. It's clear that you've followed your passion to to outstanding success. But I'm telling you, man, I truly believe if you ripped away all your success and you still did all your same steps, you would have a full life, my friend, because you figured out how to savor stuff, man. So for me, savoring life to the bone with maybe a big picture of my bald head up there, um, you know, and a little 
peace sign or something. I don't know, man. I love it. I can't think of a better way to wrap, wrap up the interview. Alcala, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, stay on for a second after after I hit, hit the stop button. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Journey to Private Practice. I'm your host, Omar Ampatim, and we'll see you next time. Don't close the computer yet. <laughs>